The guests on Love Hurts occasionally use some adult language and go into some more intense subject matter, but that's kind of how real life works anyway. This is Love Hurts. I'm Brian Berlin. Today's guest is Michelle Carlo. Michelle is a writer and storyteller living in Brooklyn. Michelle has always been a bit of a late bloomer, whether that involved getting into her dream college, or pursuing performing, or finding love again after a 14-year marriage ended. She takes us through that journey and shares how it relied on the belief she had in herself. Hey, Michelle, how's it going? Hi, Brian. So happy to be here. Yeah, oh my it's God. great to have you. Thank you. We've been waiting for this all year. Yes, I guess we, yeah, we've had a few, what, this has been maybe like three months in the making? Like, I, since like the beginning of the year, for sure, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we're so. here. Everyone should feel the anticipation that we oh felt God. over this time. Yeah. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Um, and yeah, what, what did you want to talk about today? Well, I have a story for you, and it's probably really fitting since we're almost in spring now. And it's about late blooming, and it's about uh defying expectations and it's about it's love lost and found and it's about um finding finding love after a loss and at a time of life where you're basically supposed to like not have it anymore forget about it or uh give up give up yeah cool yeah that feels like it checks a lot of the boxes for the show so oh yeah where, where does it all begin well, I've I've always been the kind of person that if you tell me no, I can't do something, I say, "Oh yeah, watch me." When I was a teenager growing up in the top floor tenement walk up in the Bronx, my dream was to become a visual artist. And I used to ride the number 6 train and see these posters for the School of Visual Arts and I went to this little neighborhood high school and you know, I was a neighborhood provincial kid and I, I how am I going to go to this big prestige school? But I wanted to do it. So I tried and I failed and I tried and I failed and I finally got in when I was 20. That's the age when most people are about to choose their final major, right? So yeah, I mean, like I was, you know, kind of a mess up teenager, you know, I, I was, I was smart. I, I got my regents diploma, but you know, I um, had to repeat half my senior year. I didn't have, I don't come from a family with, let's say generational wealth, you know, Puerto Rican, right? And uh, um, I didn't have the resources that I think a person that was applying to prestige schools would have because there was nobody for me to ask and there was nobody to tell me because like how I grew up, nobody's father wore a suit to work. Like they should totally have, have a, a class in high schools, you know, for, for, for kids to, to that, um, that come from working class backgrounds and like how to act in the business world. You know what I mean? Cause I yeah, like you don't even know how to like kind of navigate the idea of no, like going to college. No, look, oh, like... this is, this is a tangent, but this is an important one. I had an internship 
And uh, basically, my family was on PA, which is public assistance that year, because through no fault of my own, my father lost a job, and it took about a year or so for him to find another one. And basically, we were on PA, and we were eating like welfare cheese and hot dogs and like peanut butter in a can. And you know, you're like you're like you're growing, and it's like horrible food. Oh God, it's disgusting. And like I get this internship at a at a big prestigious ad agency. And I walked into the welcome breakfast. And the first thing that I saw was basically this spread of like fancy breakfast foods and pastries. And I had never seen a croissant before. And I ate three of them with about a stick of butter on each. And everybody <laughs> is like looking at me like I'm the most disgusting thing in the world. And I'm just like, <laughs> and then I had like a stomach ache the whole rest of the time. But anyway, that's another, that's another story for <laughs> Yeah, so but, it's like for you, like this, yeah. this like applying to the prestigious art school feels like like very like out of your comfort zone. Yeah. And like almost this like unattainable thing, especially as you've applied twice and gotten rejected. Yeah. And like and like after high school, like I had applied to um, FIT because like I had no idea what a portfolio was. So I just stuck and I was a graffiti writer when I was I was a graffiti <laughs> writer when I was really young. So I stuck all my graffiti um you know, pieces, literally, and, and like cartoons and like fashion designs, whatever, in a manila envelope, and I take it to FIT, and they look at it, and this is what they tell me, I swear on my red hair, it's like, um, well, we don't think you'd be a good fit here, but if you feel the need to further your education, there are several excellent secretarial schools available. Oh. Have, you ever heard the, have, have, you, have you ever heard of Catherine Gibbs? You tell this to an 18 year old and it's like, like most of them would die. And I was like, I'll show you. So then about a, a, a while later, I went to the test for Cooper Union and they told you to draw an empty room. And my little provincial Bronx mind could not grasp, draw an empty room. And I started, and I just like, I basically had a tantrum. I basically had a tantrum and I walked out and I thought that everything was gonna be death for me. And those posters for School of Visual Arts, they had these, um, they were by Paul Davis. And every time I would go downtown to a concert, because I went to a lot of concerts, believe me, well, no, concert. Anyway, they had this like Pagliacci type of clown with the hands on the chest that said, to be good is not enough if you dream of being great, School of Visual Arts. And then they had one of a man in a bank teller's cage, you know, like the, like a, not like a, a one with, with plexiglass, like a one with bars. And it said, Paul Gauguin worked in a bank till he was 35. It's never too late. So I would see this and I would be like, okay, I'm going to try one more time. So I, I call, I call SVA and I get this wonderful woman on the phone. What the lady told me was that uh, before I even wanted to try to get into SVA, I should go to a community college. And she said, go to one that has a, that has an art or advertising program get the best grade you can. She said, try for straight A's, it'll help you. And then, so that's what I did. I went to New York City Tech. They had a two-year program with associate degree in art and advertising design. I had like a 3.9 GPA. And while I was there, I, I developed a real portfolio because they taught you how to do that. Yeah. And, and they had um, a, a branch of Theater Works USA, which is um, this theater program. And um, I did plays with them. I did Guys and Dolls. I was Miss Adelaide. I did Grease. I was Guess Who? Guess Who? <laughs> <laughs> and um, but but she walks me through how to how to how to do everything, and I do it, and I get in. So there you go. Yeah. So that there's that tangent. All right. So yeah, you're so, like 20. You get into SVA. I'm 20. I get into that school, and it's great. And hey, 
I decided to become a performer at the age of 35. That's the age when most sane people give it up. Well, I guess it's not when Paul Gauguin, right? It's our, isn't that right when he's... Well, that's when right? Paul Gauguin yeah. decided, decided to be an artist and I decided to be a performer. So me and so yeah, I guess me and yeah, Paulie... Yeah, like the two of you are living in this one... Yeah, late. me and Paulie had a lot in common. Yeah. A <laughs> hundred years apart, right? So it was like something that was like revolving around it your life. It was revolving for, around, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, like 35, like, you're like, I want to actually make a yeah, go of this. Because like, you know, somebody actually went up to my father and said and gave him a card they i don't know who they were like some agent or something and my father said you know my daughter's going to be 20 she can make her own decision and i'm like daddy what should i do and he's like it's up to me but you know i was the first person to graduate college on both sides of my family and i felt and i'm the oldest cousin on both sides of my family so i felt like i had an obligation to the youngs to show them that a mess up like me could do this. So I gave up the acting thing and then, you know, whatever. I sublimated it. That's the right word. I sublimated it. And 15 years later, it came up again. I guess I was having a later Saturn return or something. Yeah. And I decided, yeah, you know what a Saturn return is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's that, 28 or 29 is? Yeah, when, mine, yeah. mine happened when came, I was like 33. But, you know, I, slower, I, yeah, yeah, but I've always been a late bloomer, you know, uh, young, young, young for my age. So anyway, so when I was 35, though, that's when I had the guts to finally go pursue it. And that's, yeah, that's the age when most people give it up. So, you know, when my husband of almost 14 years decided he no longer wanted to be married to me, I was sure I could change his mind. I mean, come on, I could do anything I could set my mind to, right? And hadn't we spent like almost 14 years, I mean, living and loving and making art together. But this time I had to face that sometimes, no, means no. And is this something that happened right around the time you were like getting into acting? So it was around 35? No, no, this is oh. after. This, okay. The, the, okay. the breakup happened, the breakup happened way after. I was, I, was with, I was with my ex when I decided to get into performing. Got it, and, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So after the breakup, there were days when I would find myself at my day job, completely dressed, makeup on, everything, and I would not remember getting up, getting dressed, or how I got there. There were nights that I would sit on the floor alone with my two cats on the kitchen floor and I would howl, howl, because this was such, it was horrible. It was, it was, it was just wrenching, horrible. Like my insides were taken out, scoured and put in the wrong way, backwards, upside, shaken all over, sideways, it was, it was just horrible. And my friends saw how much I was suffering. Like, like I lost like 15 pounds in a month and it, it was just so horrible. And my friends tried to cheer me up they were like, Michelle, it's okay. He's a bum. I mean, you know, he was, he did a bummy thing. Right. And in a bad way, but you know, and they were like, you don't have to be alone. You know, this is the 21st century. Just sign up for okay Cupid. <laughs> and I was like, okay, now, like, there's a couple other things you need to know about me, Brian. Um, one of which I probably mentioned before is that I was one of those graffiti vandals when I was really young. And this was like when graffiti was in its heyday. So I'm not talking about like now, I'm talking about like 70s, all right? And um, I also that um, I was a performance artist named Carmen Mafungo, and I was also a burlesque MC for about 14 years. So, and I used to spank people on stage while wearing a thong <laughs> and go-go boots. And, I had, and you could get spanked with your choice of a writing crop, kitchen spatula, or a chancleta like a slip 99 cent store slipper, okay. right? So I, I've done these things, but I somehow did not have either the 
the estomago, stomach, or cojones, balls, for online dating. I mean, whatever happened to just getting trashed and taking somebody home? <laughs> and was this like, I guess, like around what, like the 2010s? Well, some... the breakup happened in, in uh, 2004. Okay. And the and uh the last time I had gotten trashed and taken someone home was nineteen ninety and I married him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's, the idea of dating has been a very like vague like it's it's been a not a part of your life for a while and you're like Yeah, oh. like we like we met we had met in nineteen eighty nine and we broke up in, in two thousand four. Yeah. And there was also this other conspiracy that was going on all around me that, that year. It just happened or seemed to be that every time I um, turned on the television or the radio or opened up a magazine or a newspaper, I would see or hear yet again another article or opinion piece or essay or whatever about the invisible woman. And now that I was middle-aged, I mean, I was middle-aged, okay, I was a little for 40, you know. I mean, it, it, it was evident to all these, all these pundits, all these thought people. I mean, they didn't even have the word influencer back then, but it was evident to everybody that now that I was a woman of a certain age, the bloom was off my rose and the rot had now begun. And I was much more likely statistically at this age as a woman to be, to be struck by lightning than ever again by love at first, last, or any sight. Yeah, so so you're just feeling kind of like you're you've gotten this like this breakup that you've got thrown into. You're like, it's I'm at an age now where I just feel like irrelevant to the world. Yeah. And I don't know what I'm gonna do. Well, I didn't feel I didn't feel irrelevant. Yeah, the, the, feel the world is telling yeah, you, you. The world you're is telling me. Yeah, yeah, that was. But yeah. I, I take a look in the mirror and I'm like, you know, soy Latina. I'm looking good and I'm like, mm -mm 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 -mm. they are wrong. So, but you know, then reality kicks in because after the fling, the rebound, the mistake, the mistake, <laughs> and I deal con you the mistake. Oh, yeah. I came to the conclusion that, okay, maybe they're right. Maybe I have to accept that I've entered a new phase in my life. One that I called man o pause. And because I needed something to occupy my time instead of obsessing over men, I decided to write a book. I mean, I had been storytelling after this. You know, this is a bit of time after 2004 with the timelines a couple of years. And um, I, I um, decided that I was going to write a book, which consisted at that time of like the stories I had been telling at the moth for the past few years pro previous, prior. And... Um, and I was like, well, why not? I mean, there's nobody in my life, nobody around anymore that's going to tell me what I can or can't do. So I joined a writing group and I started working on it, book proposal, and I did. But, you know, writing a book takes time, Brian. It, it don't happen overnight. Like like from, from the time that I took my first workshop till when I um, get, finished my book proposal and got, and got, my, and got the agent, and then got the you know the the editor it was that was over two years it's it, it's kind of similar to like if you get into an accident and you have a car accident and you have to get a settlement from the like you just have to forget about it do the work and forget yeah. about it and then the thing finally happens right someday it'll just you'll hopefully get the money yeah. that you've been yeah, owed yeah, and yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so after this length of time 
you know, I'm finished with the, the manuscript and I'm, uh, and I'm about to send it to, you know, the editor. And I say, I need a break. So I go out of my apartment and I go take a walk and I go to the nearby park. And um, at the, at the end of the, at, at the entrance of this park is this grove of magnolia trees. And it's the, one of the last cold days when, and during that transition time between winter, spring, right? But it's right before it's about to warm up for good. But this day is cold. And I stand in front of these magnolia trees and I'm, I'm just like transfixed by them because, I mean, every single branch on every single tree is totally fully laden with all these fat green buds and I can see the little hairs on each bub. They're quivering and they're straining to contain the, the life force and vitality of the pink creamy buds that are struggling inside just waiting for the right moment to burst out naked and free into the breeze and the sight of this it just kind of like it triggers some long sublimated sap in me as well and i feel it rising up in me and i stand there and i say out loud to those trees i know how you feel i want to be pollinated <laughs> and then i look to my left and the really good looking age-appropriate guy with the really kind of cute dog looks at me slap jawed in disgust and runs into the park never to be seen again <laughs> and i trudge back to my different apartment and i sit on my kitchen floor alone again with the same two cats and i howl some more because now Several years have gone by since by the good book, I've last really been with a man. And um, statistically now I'm even more of a woman of a certain age and I'm more likely to be mauled by a tiger than ever again to feel the caress of another lover. Yeah. So, so like kind of like you going down this journey to write the book is like, oh, I don't need men. It's fine. Whatever. Yeah. This is the thing that I'm going to yeah. focus on me. And yeah. now this idea of like, oh, I do want to find love is yeah. kind of creeping yeah. back into your yeah. life. And it was almost two years. It wasn't like years. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but, yeah. but between the, 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 oh my God, going you the mistake. And this time it's, it's like almost two years. Yeah. It's like, ugh. yeah. But then not even three weeks later, the unthinkable, the un unimaginable, the unlikely and the unexpected thing happens. At 11 o'clock on a Monday night, a redhead walks into a now defunct performance space called the Barry Poetry Club and walked out three hours later, not alone. <laughs> the next morning, I woke up with a man in my bed. And then I remembered his name was Larry. Oh, God, the worst name in the world. How can I sleep with a guy named Larry? Oh! Uh, 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 and then, <laughs> what is it about the name Larry that creates such an like aversion in your? Do you have just like a bad like when you were a kid? Well, did you have no? Like, which know some bad it, Larry? La, or la, you just Larry like... Fine from the Three Stooges? Okay, I had a really. I mean, like, like 
it's like I don't know, like creepy people were always named when I was growing up. I don't know, be, creepy Yeah, you had people, a bad association. Well, with that. creepy people, like I think I think Bozo the Clown's real name was like Larry Harmon, and like <laughs> I, I don't mind. So clowns you've got now. The, it's a, a stooge and a clown, so you're kind yeah, of like yeah. And, this but is... also like like it's like a serial killer name or something. <laughs> it's just creepy. It's just like creepy. I don't know. And then Larry wakes up, and he's smiling, and and he's the darling. He's from Queens from Queens and he doesn't know how to get home from my part of Brooklyn. So I have to, and he doesn't like transferring on trains. He wants to take one train direct. So I have to walk with him, walk like, 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 like Stephanie and, and, and Tony Monero and Saturday Night Fever walk with him. So I'm walking with him 15 blocks to, so he can catch his train. And he keeps trying to hold my hand and I don't let him and he keeps trying to hold my hand and I don't let him because, I mean, come on, how could this be anything more than a one yeah, night stand? Like you're looking at it as this one night kind of yeah, like fun, because, like, but yeah, I'm not invested in well, this anymore. Well, well I, I, I didn't see anything in it because yeah. think about it. I mean, like, you know, I got trashed. I took somebody home. It's not 1990 anymore. You know what I mean? It's like I had, you know, broken every single rule of every single like how middle-aged women get men. If you're if you're a woman over this over 40, you ain't going to get no, you know what, anymore. And um we get to the train and he goes down and he waves up at me with this big smile and he goes, "I'll call you." <laughs> and I go, "Yeah, right." But, you know, he did call. <laughs> two days later he called and then we went on a real first date and then a second and then i caught him sneaking candy violets or mints or something into his mouth right before he went to kiss me and that's when i realized oh my god he's nervous too <laughs> and like and then like from that point on the more i got to know <clears throat> Larry, the more the the more we both came to see that we were two artistic humans leading these parallel lives for many years. Right. Yeah. So you've been realizing that you've been like running in the same circles on and off for like the last 20 20 years, 20 years, like for the last 20 years. We he had heard of me as a performer, but he never came to surf reality to see me. I had actually heard of him. The ledge he had he had a legendary name in the sidewalk anti folk scene. You know, and like we we knew so many people in common and we never met each other un, un, until we did, you know? Yeah. And yeah. And so that was just a, a really amazing thing to find like this kindred spirit that you led like a parallel life with. And then finally you you meet and you get together. And on April 27th, it's going to be 14 years since the man I now call Bobby and I will be together. Yep, we're gonna beat the marriage. Yay! <laughs> we're gonna beat the marriage. <laughs> and um, it's all fine. We're, I'm friends with my ex-husband now. It's all good. He, yeah. You know, whatever. But I just like beat the marriage. Beat the... <laughs> yep, it's gonna be 14 years since the man I now call Bobby and I will be together. And sometimes I, I, I think about it and I wonder like by what miracle was this allowed to happen for me? You know, then at that when I was much more statistically to die in a in, in, in some kind of like, no, more statistically more likely to be like, like, uh, 
what's the what's the word uh taken by aliens you know transported up by aliens and never find somebody else like i was supposed to like give everything up and my total was supposed to like dry up and grow cobwebs in it but here i am i mean you know it's it's different when you're when you're in your late 30s or early 40s you can date way younger and it's just fun and it's fine you know what i mean but once you get to be approaching like 50 it's no, it's not. I don't know. I mean, I guess dudes do it all the time, right? <laughs> yeah, but but, yeah, but, the, but there's different expectations there because a lot of times younger women want want an older guy for various reasons, right? Many various reasons. Yeah, and it's not considered uh, it's not considered acceptable for for a, a, an older woman to to do to do the same. Like they call them cougars. Right. Yeah. It's like when men get gray hair in their temples is distinguished when women get gray hair. It's just like you look, you're a fucking crone. Die that shit. And, you know, it's just so not fair. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So like, yeah. So at the so I guess I defied it because at the age where I was supposed to, like, grow cobwebs and blow away. And, you know, it's like, well, good loving at this age. Well, I don't know. Maybe sometimes miracles happen. He's a weirdo. I like him. <laughs> well, it just seems like you both like, again, the fact that you were living these like overlapping lives and then found each other you found yeah. it's like you got to fill in those pieces of your oh. past and with each other and when, and when we first started going out it was great it was just like uh, he's a weirdo he makes me laugh i love it i love it one one for the weirdos yes but when um like he would bring me to places where um he had brought previous dates and he hadn't been with somebody in about a year either when 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 we yeah. had met yeah because i think he he had a really i mean he had been divorced for a while and he has kids but and then he had like a, he had a bad breakup too. So he had been without, and I had been without for different reasons for a similar period of time. But mine was longer anyway. But he brings me to this to this uh, performance that he had brought other other women to potential women yeah. to, and like basically they I'm not gonna say they ran out of their screaming, but they ran out of their screaming. And like he's looking at me, and I'm like, "Oh, hey, hi, how are you?" And I'm like hugging like ha- half the people in the audience <laughs> and that are on the stage. And he's looking at me like, uh, uh. <laughs> "Yeah, like in his mind, he was like, oh, this is a thing, a part of my life that other people haven't been able to handle.'" And you were just like, "This is my world." Oh, yeah. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, oh, and when I was like date dating, ugh, I would bring I would bring people to the Bowery Poetry Club because like if they couldn't take it, like I had I had one dude say to me. I'm leaving this den of sin. Are you coming? And I was like, bye, see ya. Yeah, like I'm going to have more fun here. Yeah, exactly. Maybe like those mag- buds in the magnolia trees, I was just waiting for the right breeze to come along. Or maybe I'm just the kind of person that if you tell me no, I say, oh yeah? Watch me. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing all this, Michelle. Um, if people want to find out more about what you do or shows you have going on, can they like follow you on like a website or show, social yeah. media or anything? I have a website. I, it's, it's, uh, michellecarlo.com. So www.michellecarlo.com. Michelle Carlo with one, Michelle with one L Carlo singular, not plural. Michellecarlo.com. I'm on Insta, Michelle as shell. Cause that was my teenage nickname. I'm also on Facebook, but like nobody goes on Facebook. Yeah. I I just talk to my friends on Facebook. Well, thank you so much again for sharing, Michelle. Thank you, Brian. This is how we love. This is how we fight for something that's right. 
Love Hurts is produced, hosted, and edited by Brian Berlin. Theme music by Mickey Hommel. Show art by Caroline Mallon. You can find Love Hurts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend about it. You can find Love Hurts on Twitter and Instagram at lovehurtspod, and our website is lovehurtspod.com. I'm Brian Berlin, and this is Love Hurts.